Hi all, Rich here and welcome to episode 14 of the Jones About podcast. Great to see some banter on Twitter last week after Kelvin's episode, particularly relating to uh, his exploits in Benidorm and uh, his decisions on who was worst and best dressed on the cricket field. So, in the news this week, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We could be playing cricket next Saturday. I got that excited earlier in the week when the WhatsApp message came around from the Fugees asking for my availability. I am all in and I can't wait. Let's hope Mr Drakeford gives us a thumbs up. Uh, It's been a long time since my last duck. Okay, so, uh, yep, ready to go, ready when you are, Mr Drakeford. Today's guest is Kerry Chahal, otherwise known to his buddies as Singy. Uh, he's played at quite a few clubs, Landor and Davin, but you'll probably know him from his time playing at Swansea back in the golden era of 2001, 2 and 3 when they kind of cleaned up with everything. Um, since then, he's gone on to do a lot of coaching at level 3, including uh, helping out with the Welsh women's team. Uh, but the role he's in now currently is a very important one. He's area manager for South Wales Clubs for Cricket Wales. So, huge time at the moment for all clubs in South Wales. We had a little chat about that towards the end of the podcast, but we started off talking about how did he get that name? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, the backstory of that, it's my middle name. Singh has always been my middle name. Uh, it, you know, like we always do, we always follow our bigger brothers. So everybody knew my brother Mark through rugby. So he was Mark Singh. I then became Kerry Singh. You know, the nickname handed down was Singy, so loads of people just used to know me as Singy growing up. And uh, it just so happened during, you know, we went, uh, you know, in my preparations to get married, just you know, checking your, your your bands and stuff and showing your birth certificates. It just occurred to me that our family name is Chahal, like, yeah. So it just out the blue. And then Becky, my wife, said, you know, when we get married now, I'm going to be Mrs. Chahal. Everyone's going to know me as Becky Chahal. And everyone keeps calling you Kerry Singh. And, you know, and everywhere you just write Kerry Singh down, you really need to start using your, your, your surname because we're married. And I said, right, fair point. Last thing I want to do is start married life, you know, with something different names. So it just so happened the year I got married. It, so 2000, I got married. And then in 2000 and... Uh, 2001, I took over the captaincy at Swansea, took over from Tim Hemp. And back then, we used to just have, you know, the South Wales Evening Post leading up to the cricket season and during the cricket season, just just have pages and pages of local cricket. And, the you know, on the eve of, of the new season, they just happened to have massive headlines of Chahal, you know, takes over the helm at Swansea to, for title defence. And it was a picture of me then swiping a ball, you know, playing a missing, big picture, and then two lines, and then it just went into like all the season prep. So everybody in the network saw who have Swansea signed. We've got Jahal. An overseas, uh, overseas pro. Yeah, and but it's a picture of Singy. So <laughs> in here. So what had happened as we were going around the, the obviously the grounds, Mark Payne, some of your listeners may know, he's a bit of a east side lad, a bit of a naughty boy. He's always like one of the youngsters. So he went and just spread the story to everybody. Oh, listen. Singy's changed his name to Kerry Chahal because when he got married, he, he literally he becomes a prince. So it's his princely name. So I was going around and I was saying, Singy, what's happening? Are you a prince? I said, no, no. So, uh, so in the end, I just ended up saying, right, fair enough, I'm a prince. Everybody kept thinking I was a prince for about a couple of years. 
and then just you know it's just an excuse for them to say it's you around singy get get on with it <laughs> and i, so I imagine uh, i imagine uh, andrew davis uh, fell for that one as well oh yeah, <laughs> bit out of order here like and I, i'm sure diver wouldn't mind me saying this like uh leader <laughs> oh, rich you should have bought that bit but <laughs> essentially leading up to 2000 the year i got married uh Andrew had just signed for us, like, I think I was about 27 at the time, and Andrew was in his very early 20s, and he was flying, he was brilliant for us. He was, all, he was you know, just broken into Glamorgan, brilliant lad, great young man, like, uh, and, uh, but some reason, Tim Hemp and a few of the lads decided to say to him, because we were planning my wedding at the end of the season, that, you know, listen, keep an eye on Singy now, he's not, he's not feeling himself. And Diver said, well, what's the matter? He said, listen, don't say nothing to anybody, but he's having an arranged marriage. And I thought, oh, my God, when Tim was telling me this, he said, he's always seen as a picture of his bride. It's a bit black and white, so he's not sure. So he's a bit down in the dumps, but he's just got to go through it. It's just something he has to do. So the first like, six weeks now, Diver would come over and say, hey, I'd sing everything all right, mate. I said, yeah, I'm fine, like, yeah. And I, I, I didn't click that the story was going on in the background. And literally... They, when they told me, I said, you, that's a horrible thing to say. And I told my missus, and she said, no way, you've got to tell Andrew that, you know, he's going to come to the wedding night now. Last thing he wants to be as nervous about it. Like, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll tell him what, we're going to for a few pints the night before the wedding. I'll tell him, like, yeah. But because he lived a little bit away, and he's but one of the young, most of the senior boys had come, and my brother had come with a few of his mates. He's my best man. Andrew didn't come. So it, it didn't occur to me that my thought processes had gone because obviously they've got the big day the following day. So all the big day comes around and everybody's having a few pints and come the evening we're all we're both, you know, a bit worse for wear. And Diver turns up and he's, he's looking around, he's looking at Betty. And in the end we just all jumped him and give him a big hug. But that was a classic. He, so he was <laughs> expecting this um this wedding whereby you get the uh, <laughs> the, the bride who you nobody knows it is, and then let alone it's it's your, oh, it's your like, normal wedding. Oh, it's classic. Even to this day, when he comes up and sees me, he's always shaking his head. He said, "I'll never forgive you for that." Like, but uh, in fact, we had a text exchange the other day, and we're just checking how he was, and he sort of remembers that all the time. But yeah, a good lad, and he Andrew, top man, top boy. Yeah. When we go back, you played a couple of seasons at Landor and and Davin. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a, probably had a, everyone has a breakthrough season, don't they? I just happened to play for Orco for a couple of years. Some of your listeners may know a, a, a third division team at Jersey Marine, cracking batting wicket. And I was lucky enough to play alongside some senior players. And Norman Lawson was one of them, like a you know proper cricket player. So he's sort of you know just learning from them. And then I thought I come about seventeen, eighteen, I think I was. I thought. I give it a go, and Landord approached me. They'd just gone into the first division to say, "Come and have a, have a, come and play for us." Orko was slightly, you know, I think the ground was being taken over. Amazon is there now, so that was probably the oh, start. Right, yeah, issues like yeah. So I ended up going to Landor, and I just literally, you know, when you're a young man and you, you don't fear anything, and you're going into the first division, and I thought, well, they don't know me, I don't know them, I'm just going to play my game. And I just had a huge season. I hit over 500 runs, like which back then was 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 a big season, like yeah. yeah. And uh, literally, we, we went down because we, you know the, the team had struggled. But in that season, I just had a sort of a breakthrough year. And when they went down, I was I was playing football at the time for Clenethley. You know, I was playing sort of Welsh league football, and I knew loads of boys who, who were playing cricket for Darwin. And 
at the time, being a Swansea boy, I, I'd always wanted to play for Swansea. But at that time, you know, their team consisted of Jumbo and uh, John, uh, Mr. Ellis and, and a few of the legends and a few, you know, big overseas players that we used to have at that time. So there was absolutely no chance I'd get near that first team. So I went to Davin and I spent four absolutely brilliant years. I loved it there. You know, uh, it was, it was lucky enough to play along senior players like Mike Haswell and Wynne Lloyd. Uh, we had an overseas player ourselves in Downey Joseph, cracking yeah. player. And uh, Jamie Sylvester, very similar story to me. Jamie played. So myself and Jamie, we were the same age. We were sort of, you know, very early, yeah. sort of, you know, 20, 21 played in that team and it was real good you know I think uh, also Stefan Jenkins who went on to uh, to captain Ammonford played so we had three of us young players all around the same age playing in amongst some experienced players and likes of Glenn Leatheran and and, and 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 lads like that who were excellent club people so we were you know I think the grounding I had was was brilliant you know and I was just able to enjoy my cricket without any pressure really so yeah and I yeah. imagine some some youngsters uh, you know like um did you ever come across Herbie, Andrew Herbert? Andrew, Andrew Herbert, uh, boy, boy thinks he can drink at times, can't he? <laughs> oh, he's a star, Herbie. In all fairness, I play. In fact, you know, I'm a few years older than him, but we, we've now started to play a little bit together in the, the West 40s team. So it was it was great to to, to see him again. But uh, yeah, he's a character. There's a few. Phil George is another one. You know, he, he he's yeah. he's been around a little bit. He's a, another good youngster that came up through the Darwin ranks. So. Yeah, some really happy times. Happy times. Just in that bit, every every week my wife listens to uh, the show, like, or the episode, and uh, she always says, "Oh, you mentioned all these people I know, Irby. Well, Irby's her cousin, um, yeah. and Phil George. She was in the same primary school as as uh, Phil George in the same class, and I think Phil George now delivers a post to uh, her father, my father-in-law. So everyone knows everyone in Wales, everyone, don't they?" <laughs> Oh, I know, I know. You're only two people away from someone you know, isn't it? That's what they say. You know? Exactly, exactly. But I always, I always listen to oh, hear stories of Davin, and I was like really impressed with what I hear as a, as a club, uh, yeah. as a social kind of gathering as well. Oh, but back in those days, you know, I mean, uh, some some of your listeners may remember that grew up at that time from the South Wales Cricket Association. Davin used to have massive crowds, and I'm talking about eight, nine hundred people on some days. Like, and uh, mm. I can remember playing against Neath, and Neath, obviously one of the top teams, and we were in the first division, Davin at the time. And in 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 the clubhouse, there was a couple of, you know, there was y- Yian Evans, the the Welsh winger. Mm. There was Perigo, I think, you know, the boy who played, you know, a bit of a loose cannon at times, I know, but he was in there. There was Phil Williams, you know, near enough a professional footballer, Phil Williams. And he would, they would be playing cards in the corner and you're talking serious money. And then the whole place was packed and it was just more of a festival, really. Like, you know, I mean, it felt, it just felt surreal. And you were just a young player growing up in it and thinking, well, you know, I mean, just take it on the head. And yeah, sort of, a, you learned your drinking culture from there. I can remember going down to uh, Station Road in the evenings. My cousin <laughs> sort of took us under his wing. All uh, magic, Mike. You know, it was just great days. It was just great days. And yeah, uh, I met my, wife. my wife is from Slashley, so I've had a couple of nights out in oh. uh, in Slashley. Kavanaugh's was there on yeah. the corner. That's and, right. We used to I, go to a place called Bailey's a lot, like which Bailey's, was Bailey's, yeah. Bailey's, and then uh, if you wanted to go down market a bit, I think a few of my friends from Slashley used to head down to the Moonraker. I think it was called the Old Raker. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I, was gone, I was gone before I uh, <laughs> before I managed to venture into Swansea, but yeah, the, it's a uh, it's a night out. It's an experience. You know, I come from Newport, and I was thinking, hang on a minute, it's a uh, <laughs> it's a hell of a night out in Newport. But when you go into Tlaxley, oh my word! <laughs> it's just uh, oh, I, I loved it. I loved my time at the time. As essentially used to call me the the Jack who's an adopted Turk. I was playing for the Reds at the time and playing for Darwin. So. For four years of my life, you know, which are really happy memories. You know, it's great times. But as yeah. you say, you know, when Swansea came knocking the door, you know, I mean, I, it was just something. It was a dream of mine as a kid to play for my hometown club. And you know, I was lucky enough they invited me on their tour in 1995 to South Africa. We were actually the first touring team in the Natal and Durban district from sort of the west after the apartheid. And it was it, it was yeah. incredible. It was absolutely incredible time. And uh, Again, you know, just great memories, and that's when my association with Swansea started, really. And, and do we do we see tours like that anymore? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Going on these big tours anymore? No, I don't know. I was like, oh, last year at the Barbados with the senior Welsh women. So yeah, yeah, as a coach then, as a player. So yeah, yeah. I they take the a lot more organising now, don't they? I suppose. Yeah, the club teams. Like the teams used to go away regularly, like Barbados and yeah, and I do about. But now I think the furthest we go as the Fugees is Cheltenham. <laughs> what are the races? <laughs> <laughs> Not even the races, just Cheltenham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least you get over the bridge these days, mate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so Swansea, you know, is is, you know, this is where you start to to really become a well-known cricketer in the area, and you start winning stuff as well. Yeah, well, listen, I, I look back at that, that time as I was very lucky. You know, I'll put my hand up. I, I was uh, I was a footballer that played cricket, absolutely loved cricket. And I was always into sort of being fit. So it was a challenge to me to be the best I could be. And I was always, you know, I'd always practice hard and I'd always listen. So I, I probably made the most out of my talent as a cricketer. I, you know, I don't think I could have done any more than what I actually achieved. And, and I also thought I lacked in on being left-handed. You know, you're always going to need a left-hander somewhere along the line. In, 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 you in know what? I, I wish I was left-handed. Because yeah. I opened batting with, with Dave Adams, right? Yeah. And I opened batting with him for years and years and years. And I would be down the one end. And, like, bowlers are just used to bowling the right-handers. And yeah. I'd be, be stuffing me outside the off stump with the way swingers and everything. And as soon as he came on strike, down the leg side, four yeah. runs, wide outside off stump. And he would just have so much rubbish bowled to him being a left-hander. Well, garbage. You know, I, it's it's funny to say that, Dave. Everybody thought as I was growing up, I was great off my legs. And if you think about it, ninety percent of the bowling you get while the right arm is sort of adjusting is on middle and leg. So unless you can hit mid-wicket, and people used to say, "Oh, he's always getting through the leg side," you know, just don't bowl there. But that's why most people would actually bowl, wouldn't it? So that's why a lot of left-handers are fairly good. And then, you know, once you would you know, give it a bit of a cow, big shot, you were an agriculturist then. And they would, no, it's power hitting, isn't it? Everybody's oh, yeah. Everybody would play that shot. But at the time when I used to hit off middle and leg over mid-wicket, it's a bit of a cow corner shot, wasn't it? Yeah, so looking, you know, looking back now, you, you won four league championships at Swansea, three in a row. So they must have, you must have had a good team down there then. Oh, that's that's what we were. I think uh, we, we we were a good team. We we had some really good players. We didn't have superstars. I suppose Tim Hemp was probably our our, our main sort of uh, 
mainstay as far as somebody you know that we, we build our batting around but we just sort of happened to have like six or seven players that stuck together for five or six years which was the backbone of the team that all met and all came together at the same time of all wanted to work hard at their games and literally you know we'd all have to we, we would know that we would all have to contribute most games for us to compete but we just had a you know we just had a brilliant bowling attack you know our bowling attacks were always good and we were always at that time fit we were always good in the field so we would tend to bat first you know put get get runs on the board and back then 200 was a good score so we'd mm. bat first and then we just back up bowling you know we'd have you know people like Simon James Ian Capon Andrew Davis we had Simon Launder Scott Alexander boys that some of your listeners could see were just essentially you know I mean just brilliant seam swing bowlers and and we'd have probably the best wicket keeper that I consider that I've ever seen Steve Powell and he'd stand up to most of those boys like yeah so literally it would be hard for you know play great cricket against some great teams but we could always know that we could put pressure on when we were in the field so as long as we could all couple together some runs we, we knew we were in a game and and it seems strange now thinking back but like football teams have patterns of play don't they we actually yeah. did have a pattern of play for those three four years we just knew what we would do you know i'd know straight away you know i mean simon james opened you know andrew davis take diver off cape on come on and then he'll split the ends with with simon james and then diver come back on to clear up you know they, that was just a pattern of play that we just have and everybody had this specific fielding position so yeah, I, I think it was it was just a magic time, and you know we were lucky to have a, you know Stuart Owen as our coach. Yeah, Duncan Fletcher of his day, a little bit of a roast so, so As a club team, you had a coach. Yeah, we did. Yeah, in 1999, I think uh, uh, Steve Davis took over the chairmanship, and he was sort of came from like a business background, and he thought, listen, we, if we're going to have this this because we we came back off a period of success you know we we won the league in 1995 and the and the Welsh Cup and league double in 96 but then that team had literally you know all those stars like Jumbo and everybody else Mark Pugh they all sort of retired at one hit and then they had this gap they had this gap of youngsters and you know they had they brought myself in as a Swansea boy and we just had a, a lot of players who just had to have about a few years of bedding down and Stuart was probably the perfect guy to do that for us he just he disciplined us he gave us some fairly loose structures to work to and he gave us a lot of responsibility which uh, for me it just worked and I think it worked for the likes of Ian Kate Bond and other players that were at that period of their careers yeah. so we were able to be successful yeah just before I go Talk a little bit about the coaching and, and, and the club structure you had there. Cape Bond, what a player he was, mind. I played oh. I played junior cricket with Cape Bond all the way through from yeah. under 11s through to through to 18s. Mm -hmm. I, I think when I look back at that time, if those names that I've mentioned, we all played our best cricket at the same time. So, you know, I used to feel being left-handed, I used to feel point, and Ian used to feel backward square. And I would just be looking at him just in the field, he was just absolutely amazing Dynamite, he, he yeah. was just he, he was just his natural length was was yorker length he'd just come in and bowl yorker length yorker length steve powell would stand up and he could bat and you know when the likes of himself you know there's a few of us around that middle order who were fit we we would we would back then we would turn ones into twos and you know run the threes down into the you know the long part of the outfield so you know without actually you know 
taking attacks apart, we could build innings. But you're right, you know, Cape Bon is is up there amongst you know, one of the best players I've played with, certainly. Yeah, and you, and you, you mentioned uh, someone who gets mentioned every week, uh, Steve Powell as keeper. Oh, every it's... week, every week, someone mentions their best keeper, and it's Steve Powell. Well, again, I'm I just, front I'm just for... wondering how he didn't play higher up. I don't know if he did or not. I don't know if he was involved in county cricket at all. But everyone says he's the best. Oh, I, I had a front row seats, and I had front row seats feeling a point. And literally, he was, you just—it was mesmerising to watch him. You know, he was just in a different class. Um, a very close friend of mine at the time, myself and Steve, we still are. We, we when I took over the captaincy, we 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 look back at that time, and and it's interesting to get his reflections, and I speak to him about it. Did we really enjoy that time? I think myself and Steve, we really just couldn't enjoy it because we felt the pressure to want to succeed. We enjoyed it after, you know, reflecting yeah. after the games, but during the games. You know, I, I suppose it'd be interesting to hear other players if they felt the same way. But during the games, it was such an intense environment, and you know, the standard that you know, for me it was as high as I was ever going to achieve. So literally, you know, having Steve to bounce off who also felt the same. But you know, we 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 would back then we would play cup cricket on a Sunday, which would be 40 overs, 45 overs. So we play Saturday, Sunday. We train Tuesday, Thursday. So it was just people properly invested in our cricket. And and I can remember that period of time where we play Saturday, we play Sunday. Monday, myself and Powell would be on the phone. We'd be on the phone. We'd, we'd, chat, we'd start talking about next Saturday's game. You know, we'd be talking about, you know, so-and-so yeah. maybe missing, so-and-so's hit runs this week, so-and-so's taking wickets. And it just became sort of a, a roller coaster that we just kept moving along. But uh, no, he was certainly, you know, even now, you can see his quality, can't you? Yeah, you touch on, you know, on two things I, I want to go back to. Firstly, uh, the coaching, having a coach as, you know, as part of the club. Um, I, I've never played in a, a club team. Well, I've only played with the Fuji, so. <laughs> but... We've never had a coach. It's been first team captain. Mm. First team captain is in charge, and nobody's put in like um, nobody's an actual coach. And I think you know that's been to our detriment looking back because I think then everything just lands on the captain, and yeah. the captain will do it for a couple of years, and just at the end of the day, you'll just say, oh, "I've had enough." Yeah, you're 100 percent right. I was I was talking to Hempy between us. We captained the side for about seven years. You know we split the captaincy where we were very lucky was we didn't have to think too much other than the game you know, the coach would take care of a lot of the other stuff whereas you know yeah. what it's like as a captain you know if you haven't got that person you're having to organize everything you know from you know the tees to you know the transport and everything else a lot of that was taken away and and, and that's not to, to as a detriment to, to his role it's just part of the stuff he used to take care of yeah, Stuart was excellent. You know, he he really turned a group of. Uh, he got, I suppose, he got the best out of all the cricketers that that he worked with. So, which which was a big part of our success. I, I personally feel. Yeah, I, I just remember what one day I was captain and I'd been cutting the outfield. Yeah. Uh, I'd been doing this. I'd been doing that, and then I just forgot to turn the showers on, and got to the end of the game. 
and it was like, well, who hasn't turned the showers on? Whose responsibility is to turn the showers on? And I was just like, oh, you know, that was mine. And people gave me a bollock and I just went, forget it, I'm done. You know, mm. because everything was on top of me. And I think that's, you know, and I see a lot of club captains that that happens to. Well, I think think your experience is a lot, as you say, it's a lot of club. It'd be interesting. I'm hoping that you've got a great followership on on this podcast that the players actually understand what captains go through. I don't think they do until they actually, uh, you know, until they actually just throw their toys up the pram, they think, because you're down there early getting the covers on, they say you cut the grass. And then literally you then have got to, you know, bring the team together, you know, do the tactics, pick the bat, and actually play the game yourself. Yeah, and then go out and bat, and then just, oh, right, okay, let's just forget about everything now, because I'm out batting, opening the batting, whatever. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. And also, you you know, you touched on playing twice in a weekend, God forbid. Yeah, it's it's different now. You know, in my role with Cricket Wales, I'm I'm, I'm having to balance what's happened and, and how things have worked that way. And it's quite interesting as I grew up, and I, I think it's a, a societal thing. Um, mm. From my own personal experience, I can see it. My mum never worked. My dad worked. He worked the odd weekend. He was sort of a, a, a contractor in the steelworks. So my mum never worked. I, I got married. Becky's worked full-time since the day that I've that, that we've been together. So yeah. as soon as Ellie came along, you know, <clears throat> a couple of years later, it, the, you know, and that's happening more and more now, you know what I mean? So the opportunities for, for for players to want to play on that Sunday. It's a lot of home pressure that goes on purely because society has changed, in my opinion. Wives are working all week long, whereas <clears throat> my mum never. So, you know, she, she, you know, perhaps if my dad played, she wouldn't mind so much in being at the cricket for the weekend. Yeah, I had, I had a real good uh, conversation, <laughs> which hasn't gone out yet, with um, Robin Varley, mm. uh, who... But we did a podcast together and I spilled lager on my laptop and they're still in repair at the minute. So I'm on a different laptop now. But he mentioned the time whereby he saw it changing in the fact that you only used to be able to get a mortgage on one partner's salary. Yeah. So your house was dependent on one salary Mm. and it was generally the man's, the husband's salary. And then there came a point whereby you could combine two salaries yeah. and get your house, your mortgage based on that, which meant that you had a bigger mortgage. Therefore, both husband and wife had to go to work. Yeah. And he said from that, that was the point that finished cricket on a Saturday and Sunday. Well, like I said, it's, it's probably not a result of cricket itself. It's a result of us as a society, isn't it? You yeah. know what I mean, when me and Becky moved into our new house, my parents couldn't believe it. You know, we, we, we had a fridge, we had a freezer, we had a washing machine, we had this, we had that, we had two tellies. And that only came about, as you say, because the two of us were working and they, yeah. they, that generation coped without, didn't they? So mm. that's a good point you make, Dave. I didn't realise Robin. I, I never up. thought about that until, until he mentioned it. And he said he actually remembers the season it happened because oh. the, the Sunday team just fell apart. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and I think Sunday cricket now is reliant almost on dads and sons playing because I can certainly go out and play cricket on a Sunday now if my lad's playing. Yeah, but then, you know, I think Sunday cricket, when we were playing cup cricket, everybody entered their first team. And I can remember, you know, that's why we were successful. We Nine of us would be available, you know, 
and that was the difference sometimes when you were playing another big team. Seven of their first team were available. And I think you're right. I think it was down to sort of, you know, I mean, marital pressures and pressures at home. But no, yeah, it would be great to have a, a dad and son's league, you know, on a Sunday or just a family league. Or yeah, just, or just like we, we used to, I remember going back and playing, you know, Sunday cricket and it was like a proper game of cricket, 20 overs after six o'clock yeah. and, you know, a declaration game and used to love it. But uh, yeah, I, uh, cup cricket, it's it's a hard, I, It's such a good competition, isn't it? This Welsh Cup that that we used to play in, and you mentioned, you know, you used to win it with Swansea, and they were great days. And <laughs> the the Fugees going back in the eighties, I think there was a Gillette Cup or something along that, and they won that. And it's one of the best teams the Fugees ever had. I just I want I want to see the cup brought back and played for competitively but then it's that that is them then speaking to the leagues I suppose and how do we fit it all in yeah you're right you know for me you know we used to have some brilliant battles with the you know Cardiff and Sully you know what I mean <clears throat> they were outstanding teams you know you had the Sylvester boys you know, you know Sully were like uh, Real Madrid at the time when we played <laughs> they just, and we played them on the we played them on the way up yeah so and we literally like two. and we used to have great Games against Cardiff, you know, Robbie West and Bridgie, you know, Matt Phillips now I've bumped into recently at the 50s net. You know, just just genuinely good people and great cricket teams. Yeah, I suppose people miss out on that, on that experience, you know, to actually, you know, as, as you go through the cup rounds, you get to play clubs outside of your, uh, your, your own backyard, which, you know, for us, it was always a great experience. Yeah, but it's a different game as well, isn't it? It's, you know, league cricket, you can get to a point whereby you can play for points and things like that. But when you're playing knockout cricket, it's, yeah. it's different again. There's a lot more pressure. Yeah, you're right. I think what what we've done, you know, just putting my Cricket Wales hat on, is we've really looked to remarket it this year. So it's a real shame that, that we've had the pandemic, pandemic, pandemic apologies, it, because you know the, the the actual social media side of it and all the we had a, a new set of sort of marketing tools that we were going to use and I think we had a few more entries than we had the year before so it's it, it we bucked the trend if we have the last few years so uh, with, with the bit of the hoopla and the fanfare we'd have put on it this year I think you know it, it'd have had a lot more attention and hopefully then it would have picked up a bit more traction for next season but uh wasn't to be, I suppose we just got to park it and try it again next year, you know? Hope you're enjoying the chat so far. Just want to remind you that if you uh, if you need your battery refurb, for example, you've just gone in the nets now, it's looking a little tired, or you need a little refurb on it, don't hesitate to get in touch with me at Jones the Bat, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, you can email me at jonesthebat100 at gmail.com also. And just a little thing on the Facebook. Uh, if you haven't already, can you join the group, which is called I Play Cricket in Wales? Loads. We've got, nearly got a thousand members on there at the minute. Uh, lots of reminiscing going on uh, about when, when we used to play cricket in Wales and what's happening in cricket in Wales at the moment as well. So, yeah, get yourself involved and uh, let's get back to uh, the chat with Kerry. Before we uh, touch on, you know, your work with, with Cricket Wales, just want to go back, you know, you've had a long uh, career playing first team cricket and second team cricket. You know, <coughs> what players stand out to you, batsmen, bowlers, that particularly 
you thought, you know, well, that's, he's out yeah. of the plan. Oh, listen, you know, the, 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 the best player I played with probably has been Tim Hemp. It's just because his consistency, he would just, you know, he, he I think, <clears throat> I think Paul put him down as die block, you know, Paul Reese who did your yeah. podcast, and yeah. I put him down as die block, but I got him down as die block because back in those days, you know, if you could bat 50 overs and front up and you could get to sort of 80, 75, 80 and hold up an innings, we knew as Swansea that we would get the 200. You know, the rest of us would, and then 200 back then was, was a decent 200 score. was a winning score, mm-hmm. wasn't it? I remember coming, yeah. scoring, you know, first innings and we <coughs> scored 220. Yeah. And it was like, ah, there's no chance of them getting this. No chance. Yeah, exactly. And when we felt exactly the same. But, you know, you look at the teams at the time, I, I think, you know, I'm always, you know, every generation looks back with rose-tinted spectacles. But, you know, I, I just feel in the cricket time that I played was a bit of a golden era. It was at the time that the, you know, the, the overseas players had just finished, but the club club game was so strong. And you, you look at everybody's batting lineup, you know, that I can remember, you know, from Britain Ferry Steele, Gowden, Ammonford, Ponte de Lice, you know, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. The top six were, were incredible. But, you know, the player that stood up for me, and, and we'd always try to make a plan, and he'd always get around that plan, mainly for his longevity, probably, and, and his consistency. And he's still playing now. Alan Evans of Ammonford, just just quality. Man. Great lad. You know, you know, his brother Hugh was probably one of the the maddest wicket keepers that ever stood up you know he'd, he'd always be in your year and he and he could hit a long ball in all fairness like so yeah. you know great family but uh yeah Aline for me stood up we always used to try to get a plan of uh Simon James used to bolt him he'd always try to like get him to nick off early on I don't mean nick off he'd always try to go through mid-wicket slightly in the air and oh he He'd always miss the short mid wicket by a meter or two, and that was it. Bang! You know, you know that he was he was on. And the only tactic I think we ended up having for him was just starve him off the strike, just keep mm. him off the strike, and he he was just quality. And he still is now. You know, he's, he's a captain. He's a good lad, and uh, yeah, just just overall great player. Uh, yeah, I went to, I went to Australia with him. Um, Welsh schools, 18s back then. I was I was the youngest to go, so he was he's a couple of years above me. But I always thought, you know, what a player he was, you know, and he could bowl as well. <coughs> yeah, yeah, he comes in and runs in and does his dibbly dobblers. But at that yes. time when we played, you know, like myself, myself and Arlene were probably more cap bowlers. We'd never get a sniff of bowling on a Saturday like yeah, because of the standard of the bowlers that we had. But uh, no, he's just a quality player. Uh, what you know, standout innings against us. Uh, when we we were really flying was the semi-finals. I can't remember what year, probably either late nineties, early two thousands. Ryan Sylvester at a boiling hot St Helens, which was we were playing just after Gamorgan had been there, so it was essentially county standard. Grass was cut down. He had one hundred and eighty. It's the only time, right, that I've ever felt as a captain. And I'm looking around. I'm looking at all my senior players, and they just look. You're turning their back. We just couldn't have a plan to him he was just probably you know just belligerent you know he just he, you know we'd move people over to the offside and then you know we bowl to that plan and he he hit the gap on the leg side it was just a phenomenal sort of innings and you know Ryan you know could do that can he on his day and uh, I think Sully had the better of us in the semi-final that day yeah 
Well, I, we mentioned you know Sully played us on the way up, so they got their team together, and they were yeah. coming up through the divisions, mm. and um, we travelled down to Sully on a. It started off a very um, hot day, and and they batted first, and Bev Price. Do you ever come across Bev Price? Do you yeah, ever see- yeah, yeah. Bev Price used to. Oh, he was like sixty-five. He's like. But anyway, he used to open the bowling for us and he could pull it on the spot. Yeah. And first of all, uh, we thought, right, okay, let's, Ryan's just going to go for it first, first up. We'll drop our man back deep mid-off, right? And uh, Matty Evans was sent back to a deep mid-off boundary. So uh, Bev Price is bowling from the top end now towards the sea at Sully and Ryan's buying. And he hit the first ball so hard, right? Then it flew straight past Matty Evans, hit the wall behind him, and hit him <laughs> on the back of the head. <laughs> that was the first ball of the game. And we thought, we're in trouble. And then, and this this was like the Sully, as I remember them, because they weren't nice to play against, i got to say. Um, we, we batted second then, and we were chasing 200, 280, something like that. Yeah. And uh, we weren't doing very well in reply. I think we were four or five down for next to nothing. And it started raining. And we thought, hang on a minute, we're in with a chance here. And they started running on the covers. And they ran straight over our wicket and covered Sunday's wicket for the Welsh Cup game the following day. And left <laughs> ours empty. Uh, and I was like, oh, mate, that, that was silly all over, you know. And uh, But... <laughs> You, you, you went through a few seasons because there was a lot of mutual respect amongst the lads. Like, yeah, and it, you, you were right. They weren't the, the, the nicest team to play against. It was simply like, you know, it was probably like playing against Australia of the day, weren't they? You know, yeah. but then like, but we, we, for some reason, for two or three years, we decided because, you know, I, 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 I'd known Jamie quite well. We'd play a friendly. It was never, a, it was probably the worst pre-season friend you'd want, like, because they wouldn't travel, so we'd always end up having to go up there to the coast. It was never a great day, and literally, they just want to smash you, like, you know, we were trying to, like, mix up bat in order, but they just want to come and just say, off you go, Jacks, back down the M4, cheerio, type yeah. of thing, so, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. But, you know, and having said that, you know, because I, I knew Jamie and Ryan, I grew up with them, and Jamie was as good as goal one day. We were we were playing and we had to get one point to avoid relegation, right? One point. And I think it the <laughs> match was reduced and it was I, I don't know. What we needed one, two, five for a point. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. batted first. And we were 124 for nine. And we needed <laughs> one point to avoid relegation. And Andy Adams, our keeper, went in and uh, Jamie just stopped the game. I was walking around the boundary and he said, do you need one point to avoid relegation? I went, yeah. He said, everyone out. Everyone out. <laughs> right? He pushed all, the, all his players to the edge of the circle. Or everyone who could be out was out. We just had to put... Andy Adams took the biggest swing across the line and got bowled. <laughs> oh, typical. Typical. We got relegated, but we couldn't be relegated because Hoover's ground wasn't good enough to come up. But... We all sat that night thinking we've been relegated, but oh. uh, yeah. So we had uh, many memorable games against Sully. And <laughs> what about yeah. bowlers, mate? Oh, uh, I, I think I, I touched on earlier at Swansea. We just had a great bowling attack, and uh, 
you know, I mean, Andrew Davis came through. I, I, I came into the club for the last couple of seasons of Phil North, left arm spinner. Just, oh. just a different class. You know, we yeah. won the double. I was like, you know, my first full season at 96. I was a young player, just playing with Northy and a few of the other senior boys who were still around. And we won the league and cup double. And I can't remember doing hardly anything through the season other than fielding and, and edging a few here and there. Like, and he was just literally, he could put it on a, on a 10 pence coin, you know, just running and length, line and length. And, and, and we, did, we, we could bowl 15 overs a bowler then, like, you know, towards. Yeah. Uh, uh, so literally, you just know that those 15 overs would go for like 20, 22 runs and he'd take two or three wickets. So you yeah, knew it was, was a banker. Like, so. he, went, he went on to play for Pontia, uh, yeah. a local team. And all of a sudden they went up through the ranks. They won the league, I'm pretty sure. Pontia, because he was bowling 15 overs yeah. but nothing. And he had the arm ball to die for. Yeah. The number of times he got people out with that arm ball. And he, and, listen, and he could hit the ball mind. He batted in that middle yeah. order. And many yeah. times I've gone in there and he's tried his best to run me out, but he could smash it. <laughs> he could smash it. So, yeah, but I, I think for me, the best bowler, and only because of the consistency over the years, is Simon James. A lot of the lads listening from the from the West probably would have faced him, but Steve Powell standing up and we just ring it and just early on with the new ball. You, and he was somebody you can bank going 15 overs through and he was fit mm-hmm. lad. Just you know, just an exceptional cricketer, and uh, again he, he'd go for two and over, and he'd bank one or two wickets. But it was it was it was the, the period of time he did it for, because he would then turn up on a Sunday, bowl his nine overs exactly the same on a Sunday. <clears throat> so he'd have fifteen overs on a Saturday, nine overs in the cup competition, and he just went weekend after weekend, and it was for five six years, and it was you know in the end he suffered from some injuries, but. I think just for his overall consistency, I would just have to put Simon as probably the best bowler that I played with. If if I'm honest, uh, you know that's you know you know like some Andrew Davis went on to, to you know to to, to great things and Northy and Ian Capon was was another great bowler, you know. But uh, I think Jamer would probably be just tip it for me. So you're at Swansea now. There's a couple of good lads coming through at Swansea at the minute. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, this one particular lad, Ocean Weber. He's uh, you can remember him coming to the club, but you know, as a ten-year-old, and uh, he's just one of these all-rounders. He's he's a he's a hockey international. I think the last couple of years he's got into the Glamorgan Academy as one of the younger players. He just, I think, this year I think the academy boys went up. The bowling group went to South Africa. He went with them, and oh, yeah. and he's one, and he's one of these lads. This is probably. Genetically lucky, like yeah, where you where he's left hand, left hand bowler, but he bats right handed, so his top hand is his strong hand. Whereas you know mine left handed, so and then bat left handed. So, and because of his hockey hand hand eye, he just he's just probably one of the better youngsters I've seen coming. And what I like about him is he's just very unassuming. He got into the first team, he got into Brad's first team last year, and Brad gave him the new ball. You know, Swansea were able to bat first at lots of runs. Just let him bowl, and I think he's really impressed people. And it's probably one for the future. You know, if I had to pin some someone or someone, I'd, I'd yeah. Bat. I spoke. To, I spoke to Brad um, mm-hmm. earlier in the year because me and Brad are doing our level three together. Oh yeah, uh, good. at the minute, and uh, yeah, he said he's doing he's doing really well. And you know, you got a good Swansea team there at the minute as well. Yeah, you know, I I took a period away from playing. I'll always, always be my club. I've always been a club member. You know, I I went away to coach with the senior Welsh women for a few years. 
but you know I just got the feeling this year I went to a few nets they very much reminded me of the team that I was in in the nets all very you know really good cricketers all really fit all really competitive in the nets against each other and I just said to Brad you know I spoke to Brad a couple of weeks ago and I said I'm absolutely gutted that you this team and I think I think Swansea were very lucky with the allocations they were given as well if those Glamorgan allocations played I said listen no one's going to expect anything off Swansea going back into the first division but you've got a chance here mate like you know to you know to actually hit the ground running and perhaps cause some upsets I, I thought they would have been a challenger this year so done well yeah I think yeah. they would have done well uh, they yeah. certainly you know the couple of years we played in the Prem they were the strongest team that we'd, we'd come up mm-hmm. against. And St. Fagans, because St. Fagans did really well. Yeah. And come up from Prem 2. Mm. Uh, and I think that Swansea team was a better team than that St. Fagans team. Well, you know, fingers crossed they'll have the opportunity to, to do it again next year. You know what I mean? You know, if we can get, hopefully the leagues will start back up and life will return to normal for next season. So, uh, yeah, it's only a year. They're still young men, aren't they? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's us boys. We've got to worry about the year we've we missed it. Oh, I know. I'm I'm thinking that <laughs> the year. You know, it's a year. But I just I, all I got my mind on is Wales over fifties at the minute and getting in there and going playing in the World Cups. Yeah. Well, I think everyone's got their eye on that day. Rich haven't they? You know, mm-hmm. it's um, what an opportunity to, to go and and play international cricket. You just keep going. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I got back into playing a couple of years ago just for the the 40s club, the West 40s, and I just really enjoy that environment. You know, you're playing with lads that you played against and you know known for a few years, and it's a little bit less pressured. And you know, I just this year I went for I think one or two nets before obviously the lockdown came. Before you know, sorry, before they went on the the, the World Cup tour, and I really enjoyed it. It was great to catch up with boys, you know, that I hadn't seen for many years, and. Uh, yeah, was something I was looking forward to as well, Richard. Yeah. So um, you mentioned there you coached the Welsh women's, was it? No, I, I was an assistant coach. I, I, I better oh. correct that. I was the assistant coach for four years. And I, I, as it, like yourself, I did my level three a few years ago. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I just happened to sort of luck in to sort of having an opportunity to work with the girls, the younger age group girls. Only through, you know, I, I knew John Derrick quite well. And with one thing or another, I became very close with uh, Amy Reese, who, who runs the, the girls' programme, and she's the, she's yeah. the head coach for, their, uh, uh, for, the, for the women's uh, team. And, uh, you know, just, just purely, uh, you know, we, we were asked to, to run a few sessions when they lost their previous coach. And John Derrick would be there, and John was great, you know, God rest him. John, everybody loves John, you know, I mean, he was just a gentleman. And after a few sessions of myself and Amy, and Amy knew all the girls, he must have just had a feeling about us. He pulled us in the car park outside of Swaylick, I can remember it, and he said, well, do you fancy doing this? You know, he'd already had a word with Amy, and he just said to me, do you fancy doing this and helping Amy? So I said, yeah, you know, I'd love to do it. And uh, so, you know... uh, became Amy's assistant coach and uh, I think for me you know talking to you about our background you know football and cricket we come from a very male dominated and that boys boys changing room it it took me completely out of my comfort zone and I think it's probably the best experience I've ever had and and, I can't speak highly enough of Amy 
she really, you know, we hear about being player-centred and we hear about, you know, building behaviours and creating environments and cultures. She actually lived it. She actually lived and we were talking about how we do this. And, and we just did it, you know. She literally would say, you know, I mean, it's all about the players. We got to get gain the trust from the players. It's all about how we create some behaviours around what we expect from the players and what they expect from us. And through you know working alongside Amy and Mark Walton was very much involved in that yep. process. Well, great, great, great guy, Mark. You know, I I just can't speak highly enough of that experience. And we went, you know. Coupled with working with some absolutely outstanding people, like the girls that we work with, I think if anybody listens and they've coached the girls' environment, you just know how they soak everything in and how they want to learn. And they're just, you know, they're just brilliant people. I, I really, if I miss anything about it, I, I miss the girls a lot, you know what I mean? I know I haven't seen them this year. You know, they're always on Facebook messaging and some of them now, you grew up with them, you know, they, some of them are now graduating, so... You're wishing them happy graduation. So, yeah, a, a real brilliant experience. And uh, we went from a team that was bottom half of the second division. And within four years, we became a first division outfit in the T20. And our very last game, that you know, at the end of last year, we beat uh, Charlotte Edwards' Hampshire to stop them winning the T20 league in Kent. Well, that's how far we'd come, and we were and we were rubbing shoulders with England captains and England internationals, and we've got we've got the girls in the system who were, who were now good enough to to do that. Alexa yeah, I spoke to um, I spoke to Mark O'Leary, you know, in one of the episodes, and he mentioned about you know his stint coaching with the 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 women. Was it last season? The the Southern Storm. Yeah, yeah, the Western yeah. Storm. Yeah, Western brilliant. Storm. Yeah, and you know, he said. It, what a different environment to coach in, but mm. such a rewarding environment. He said, it's, 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 they want to learn so much more. Than, like you might go down the nets and with, with a guy down the nets and you'll say, oh, you want to do this? Whereas he's saying, they're right saying, how can, I, how can I improve? What have I got to do? You know, and he said it was just a total different mindset. No, you're right. In fact, Mark O'Leary did some work with us as well. And that's where... You've got to give Amy a lot of credit. She, you know, sometimes when you coach your team, which it was her team, and I was sort of her assistant, she was just so open door about it. You know, some people want to protect their identity and want to coach it. She brought the best people in. You know, Mark is brilliant. Mark O'Leary, Mark Walton. You couldn't have got two better people to come in as you know, you know, support staff. Really, you know, Mark would do some spin sessions, some fielding sessions with the girls. And literally, it was just different class, and you know, I just soak it all in and learn from it all, really. But it was Absolutely. good, excellent, excellent time. Yeah. So we, you know, we we've talked for quite a while, but you know, you, what people all know more about you recently is your uh, the the role you play in cricket Wales, uh, particularly down the, down in the southwest. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, for my sins three and a half years ago, I applied to become the Southwest Wales area manager, and obviously, you know, I mean, uh, lucked in and got the job. It was something that uh, I thought I could do. I, I didn't expect it to be the job it's turned out to be because it, it's become sort of a, a managerial post. It's, I didn't realise how much different strands to what we do from when I came in. You know, it's, you know, if I was to tell you my 
you know, my folder contains 25 folders of 25 subject headings that we get involved in as, as Cricket Wales. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's been brilliant. You know, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been challenging, especially of late, you know, with, uh, with the circumstances we find ourselves in. But, uh, you know, the team I work with as well, you know, they, I think, you know, fingers crossed, you know, I mean, we've, we've proved over the last few months, you know, how much support we can actually give the network. You know, we've got 185 affiliated clubs. Um, I suppose at the moment, everybody's just focusing on when can we start? How can we start? Let's start. I think three months ago when it all kicked off, our biggest concern was we've got 885 clubs. At the end of the day, we still want to have 185 clubs, you know, whatever happens and with the uncertainty that's going on. So, you know, I think Leisha coined, coined the sort of phrases of, you know, protect. So we're protecting the network and then we're preparing to play and then obviously hopefully we'll prevail going forward. But literally within that protect environment, we, we, were, we were trying to protect our own staff from jobs because operationally everything had stopped. So we had a very difficult process of furloughing our staff. A majority of our staff are still furloughed. But a key driver for us is, you know, three area managers is myself, Mark White, you know, uh, yeah, well, I, and, I, and I've got to say this point, Mark listens in, you know, absolutely fantastic during this, during this pandemic and the fact that, you know, we were aware that there was funding from Sport Wales as a club, mm. um, but it was, you know, it was a phone call to Mark and saying, right, okay, what have I got to do? How do I do this? What, what things have I got to say in order, you know, to, to make us um, yeah. applicable for the, for the, for the uh, grant, I suppose. And, you know, in fairness, Sport Wales came in and you know has really helped us out this season and i gotta put that thanks down to, down to mark for, for being yeah. there for us yeah that's exactly you know your story hopefully is repeated you've got sue wells in north wales between us as you say it's three of us managing 185 clubs over the last 10 week period and you you've just mentioned the sport wales fund and sport wales has been brilliant there, there's the larger funds for sort of the the the, the rateable relief funds that we work in with clubs and distributing that information there's the ecb programs from you know the loans etc so it's been a you know it's it, it it has been a hell of a busy time for a few of us but i would like to think where we are today i think we did a check earlier on myself and mark frost were on our document i think over 90 percent of the clubs so if you're talking over 170 clubs of the 185 that we've got affiliated have had some sort of support that's relevant to the size of club they are and I think that has been that, that's been amazing. And uh, I think you know I've heard your podcast, and I hear people, especially on social media, they tend to compare Cricket Wales with the WRU, Cardiff City, the Swans. But if I was to say to you, the WRU, Cardiff City, and the Swansea City are essentially Premier League uh, outfits. Their turnovers are in the millions. If I yeah. said to you, Cricket Wales, I think our turnover last year was 1.1 million or something like that. You know the coverage and the expanse of work we're trying to do in that setting. I think we've really, really, you know, uh, punched above our weight. I, I'd, I'd like to think, uh, uh, Richard. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, at the end of the day, it's it's cricket Wales, and I've I've noticed that cricket Wales have become a lot more supportive of clubs in recent times. You know, I, I've started to notice cricket Wales, and also with regards to junior cricket as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and the impact that they've had in junior cricket now. I know that um, Glamorgan now are starting to take over the, the national teams. Mm 
but now Cricket Wales are also uh, with, with Matt um, are going to start taking over the junior sections in a lot more uh, with a lot more structure, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that I, you know, in the three and a half years that I've been in the role, and I, you know, and I would like to I would say the same for myself and for Mark and Sue from the north, the, and Matt. I think the biggest change I would like the uh, the listeners to think and and feel is that we're a lot more connected to the network, very much a lot closer. We work a lot closer with our leagues. We work a lot closer with our clubs. We work a lot closer with you know throughout all the programs that, that we deliver and you know not all the programs it, it, there was a lot of trust I think involved in this process and I think we're nearly there now if I'm honest Richard you know I you know I'm lucky that in my area I've grown up in my area you know and, and, I've, and, and I've lucked in uh, of the relationships I've created down in Pembroke you know to, to sort of uh, consolidate the relationships we've got down there so it's very much on a trust basis and you know, an example is uh, All Stars. All Stars has been a, an absolutely incredible programme and we're seeing a difference now, two or three years later in our uptake of under-9s festivals, under-10s and under-11s uh, league uh, entries. And and that was purely just to egg in the clubs along, ask, asking them to trust you because it was an unknown for us as a county board and for clubs. But now sort of three years on, we just think that, you know, we're there. And now, you know, when we're introducing, like Dynamos was the new thing we're introducing now, clubs are coming along with us because they can say, well, that's worked. You know, we trust these guys. And hopefully in the work that we've done recently, that, that trust has been even more consolidated because, you know, as a national governing body, our, our first and most important job is to support our network. And I would like to think that the network does feel supported. And I think... You know, I like to think all my clubs know who Kerry Charles is. You know, I know all the clubs in the north and in the east would would feel the same about Mark White. And uh, you know, I think I mentioned to you earlier. You know, my phone is off the hook. People are just, and, and that's how we should be. You know, if people shouldn't be frightened to ring up, you know, the, the area manager to just ask him. You know, the last couple of weeks when we've obviously we've been able to and uh, and you know to start practicing and netting and what have you clubs are just ringing for a little bit of advice around the, the guidance and a lot of just is a little bit of reassurance to be honest Richard mm. so yeah I, I you know if, if I reflect I think that's where we are now which is a long way from where we when we started yeah absolutely I echo what you know what you say about all stars uh, we were a bit dubious about you know when it when it first started uh, whether or not it was going to work for us phenomenal um, yeah, yeah. increase in participation at the Fugees, i got to say. Yeah. And if you embrace it and you, and, and you get it going, it's, it's amazing how many kids are out there to play. Yeah, 100%. And it's also opening the doors up to the girls. You know, our girls' programmes now, we, you yeah. know, we, we're fortunate that, you know, we've been able to, you know, get some funding for some girls-specific roles. We've got a, we've got a few uh, women and girls development officers. Unfortunately, you know, the, they're not working at the moment, but that's an avenue of, of, of growth that we can really pursue as well. And, and I think a lot of clubs who, who have previously thought, oh, why would we want a girls section? Why would we want a women's section? And now have just realised the benefit of having that environment. And I think, you know, perhaps it, 
will come back to be able to play Sunday because the missus is at the club and she feels part, <laughs> part, part, part of the programme. So, you know, it, it can come full for us. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely, mate. It's, you're doing a great job. And we're just going to finish off now, as always, with some, some quick-fire questions. I've always got, I always say quick-fire questions, but they always end up in the conversations, but we'll see how we go. Okay, just before we listen to the answers from Kerry and his quick fire round, can I ask you to do three things, please? Firstly, can you rate the, the podcast? So, for example, go into iTunes and, and it's a little star rating. Secondly, can you leave a review? But in that review, I want to know the cricket club that has the best tees. Okay, so I can give a little shout out next week uh, in, the, in the podcast. And thirdly, can I ask you to subscribe? Just three things. Greatly appreciated. Let's get over to those answers for the quick fire round. Uh, best tea? Mumbles Critic Club, but I don't. Just best tea ever. What, what makes it, what, you know, what, what do you always look forward to with that tea? Uh, years ago, it used to be a good team, but the last few years I've been down there with uh, the Four Ds Club because we always have a fixture down there. It's one of the ones I play in. The, the teas have just been amazing. It's just been, it's, it's a banquet. It's not a tea. You know, you, yeah. everything you can think of that, that's best in everyone's tea is sort of all laid out. And then you've got the desserts, which are, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say they, you know, they were just top class and it's just so many options. And you, yeah, it's always hard batting first there because you know you're going to have to go to the field on a, on a full stomach. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't mind that. I don't, I don't, being an opening batsman, I want to have, I want to feel second. So I just stand in first slip for about, you know, 10, 15 overs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until the ball starts disappearing and I'd like, oh, shall I go out now? All right then. Um, best away ground? Uh, for cricket. For me, cricket, because I did well there, you know, it's just, it's just such a big ground. I like big grounds was the null. But for atmosphere, it just has to be Britain Ferry Steel. Paul Reese met in Paul Reese said this the other, the uh, other day. Yeah, again, you know, when I, I, I spoke earlier about, you know, having those big crowds at Davin, another ground you know it, it was just you know square it's very short so you're literally you know the crowd is on the field with you and it's uh and the, the club you know the clubhouse is always packed you know there'd be loads of cans drunk a lot of the football and the rugby boys used to come down you know and watch sort of the second half of the innings you know and it just used to be a it's just, again another festival atmosphere what a brilliant ground best dressed Unfortunately, it has to be Simon James, doesn't it? And my old mate, the best bowler, he's uh, Mr. Perfect. We used to call him like yeah. Uh, um, am I right in thinking Simon James went to Uick? Yeah, I think it was the same Simon James. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I like, played in the same team. You were talking about him earlier, and I was yeah. like, yeah, his bowler just running, just you know, such a smooth action. And then yeah. when I've seen his name, best dressed, I was like, that remind that that's the same guy. It's him. Do you, do you know what we hated about him most? And I, and I actually said it in, my, in his wedding. I said, what we hated about him most, he was the best dressed. He was obviously a handsome lad. He'd always get loads of attention. But we'd always go out every now and then with, with the wives down to, you know, the, uh, the local nightclub. And we'd always end up having to go on the down, dance floor. All of us begrudgingly would do that. But Simon would just be out there first. And he was like MC Hammer. They'd all be around him. He was just, he was just perfect. And he could dance, he could do everything, and we just just hated him really. Like, but yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah. I I played, but I God, I, I remember now. The, yeah, uh, worst dressed cricketer. Oh, listen, as you've spoken about before, Stevie Powell. You know, great guy, but he, he, just his cap, his gloves, his pads. 
I remember sort of two or three years or four years into playing with him, he had to get a new set of gloves and those gloves he had was, was for 15, 18 years old. And it was like the end of the world. He hated them. He, he, we'd have to like knock them in for ages. He just was really comfortable in his own skin. So anything new, sort of, he sort of stepped away from. So yeah, he like, got like a Jack Russell. Yeah, yeah. He, he mentioned he's been mentioned loads on here, but I don't think he's coming to worst dressed uh, cricketer. So he's going well, to have actually, a shot when listen to that. Actually, I sat next to him in the changing room for about ten years. So yeah, yeah, I can vouch for that. <laughs> uh, best sledger. Oh, not so much the best sledger, the best sledge. Back in the day, we used to have just boys who just have great sledges, not they weren't known as sledges. Um, I didn't mention it earlier on, but the best bowler that I ever played against was a guy called Gary Sainsbury. As a left-hander, he was a left-armer, which was completely different to anything I'd face. Everything would come into me. Sainsbury would just get balls to go away, away, nip one back, and I would just be his rabbit off I'd go like yeah. But there was one game down in St. Helens. We were playing towards the, the rugby field end, which made, you know, Sainz was bowling from the clubhouse towards the Mumbles Road, which made the, the third, ba- third, third man boundary very small in front of the old rugby yeah. stand. And James Williams was down there, and I was playing and missing, playing and missing, playing and missing. And then the last ball nicked off through the gap and slipped to him, which was only about 45 yards down. And he shouted out, it was a classic, he shouted out, everything went quiet. And, and it echoed around from the old stand. Sainz, put a do us a favour, stick a bell in it because obviously he can't see it. Maybe he'll hear it. And as I've run across for my single, everybody just burst out laughing, and everybody just knew, yes, for Sainsbury, Singy does need a bell in it because I could never. Yeah. That's that, that's quite a, a well-used comment now, but. Well. Uh, but the first time you hear it, it's just class, isn't it? Now, I was playing down there. We talked about uh, Simon James. He played in the same team as me at Ewick. But we had Matthew Robinson in the team as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Matthew Robinson, we, he played for Warwickshire and things like that. And he'd come to do like a, a, a degree, you know, as a, a slightly mature student. Uh, but he played in the team. What a phenomenal cricketer he was. Mm. And um, we played on the college fields down in Landaff. And I, I, was, I was in a, a point, I remember at the time, and he, he was bowling to this guy, and the guy could not, couldn't hit it, you know? And it was like, put him out of his misery and all that. And then the Landaff Cathedral, like, all <laughs> chiming, and he said, do you want me to get one of those bells and put <laughs> it in the ball for you, mate? <laughs> and I thought that was absolutely That's phenomenal. It. It. <laughs> you, it's, there's no comeback to that, is it, Rich? I, no. I had absolutely no comeback. Back, there's absolutely no comeback to that. I the, the, the one I always get is I uh, just put him out of his misery. I know when you're batting badly and you're just thinking, Yeah, pull me out of my misery, just pull me a straight one. Uh, I, know, I know, I know. Uh, fastest bowler, oh, Simon Jones, Simon Jones playing for Neath uh, at the Knoll. I can remember that. We actually practiced in a week with a bowling machine down at St. Helens, we were having it around 85 mile an hour just to get used to it. And he came in and I was okay because he was bowling over the wicket and it was a bit wide of off stump. I would just flay a bat at it and I just ended up edging him through gully for a couple of fours. I thought, I'm getting away with this, like, yeah. And the bugger came round the wicket, didn't he? And I just thought, oh, I'm in a world of pain here. And I was in a world of pain. Literally, he just came in, he just bowled, he just broke an eaves. He was a Glamorgan player at the time, like, I think. And, you know, they were touting him for England and... Yeah, bloody hell, he just and he was playing against Swansea for Neath, so 
he wasn't going to hold back. So, yeah, I had a few bruises that day. But, yeah, by far the, <laughs> the quickest book that I faced. Uh, biggest hitter? Oh, back in my Davin days when we had the overseas player, a guy called Downey Joseph, just literally could just smash it. You know, it just the ball just stayed hit. It just, you know, just different, different league. Uh, Riso, last week I heard him say about Kelvin. Kelvin Bartle could hit the big ball. You know, he yeah. came down and played at Swansea for a season or two. But uh, Downey was just, it just ping off the back, and he, he would just be frightened to field if anywhere if you were feeling against him. So, yeah, definitely Downey. Uh, die block. No, I've been through this when I hadn't beaten oh, yeah. him. I mean, just, but I in brackets in a good way back then. You know, we needed that type of player. I think everybody had somebody who could uh, hold up an end to build an innings round. So, yeah. Okay, Definitely. and then uh, you're on. You're on ninety six. Where do you want? Where do you want that ball at the bowl of the ball? Wide outside off stump with no gully. Left hander slashing outside off stump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that would just be you'd be knackered by then. Nothing fancy. No gully. Perhaps with no gully, a really sh- fine third man that's not going to get around. And I'm just swing <laughs> the bat, big outside edge for four. That would do for me, Rich. Kerry, mate, it's been awesome to talk to you about, you know, the, the history in, in South Wales cricket, but also the role that you play uh, in Cricket Wales as well. Um, keep up with the good work. You know, you're doing a great job and um, you're appreciated by everyone uh, in Cricket in Circle. So cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. Oh, brilliant. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for the opportunity. I know I've been avoiding you for a while, like, but, uh, you know, I mean, circumstances have dictated that. But, you know, yeah, from from our point of view as well, you know, from you know myself, Mark, and Sue, and the rest of the Cricket Wales team, thank you for what you're doing. You know, this this podcast has kept people alive, thinking about it. You know, it's yourself. Carl Holden was amazing what he did Brilliant. with the, the, the Twitter coin toss. You know, I know you've got your Facebook page going now. Uh, let's yeah. just hope you know, you know, it, it, it is keeping everybody sort of buoyed and in these difficult times. So thank you very much as well, mate. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it.